Okay, great. Okay. So I thought we would give our readers a little behind the scenes this week with the Brockovich Report and kind of show them how our process works, which a lot of times is you sending me uh, stories you're watching, stuff you're interested in, and then, you know, we talk about it a little bit, and then sometimes I'll go off and do some extra research and reporting, and we put stories together. But I thought people would love to hear a little more from you, some of your thoughts on these stories. Um, of course. <laughs> the first one you sent me this morning was the drought in California and, of course, across the Southwest. Um, Yes, something that is very close to you. You live in California. I do. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we, we pay attention. So, gosh, it's so not always easy to just jump in a conversation uh, because there's so many different issues at, at like every second of the day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it never stops. And, you know, I always try to throttle back and think, oh, my gosh, are we going to overwhelm people? Um, just because there's been so much going on for for all of us. And I worry that we just get inundated and then like, you know, back away and think I can't handle anymore. So uh, I often, um, you know, I don't know that I worry about that, but it's so overwhelming. Um, Sometimes I even have to just throttle back for a minute and go, oh my gosh, where am I going to start today? And am I going to report another bad water story today? And, one of those stories happened to be, and we put it up on Facebook, uh, from The Guardian, Truly an Emergency, How Drought Returned to California. And what we put up on Facebook was interesting. You know, drought, as defined by the National Weather Service, isn't a sudden onset of characteristics, but rather a creeping trend. So it's like, hello, where is your leadership in California? hello, have you not seen this coming? Because this trend has been creeping in and creeping in, and then suddenly there's this big, huge problem, and they're scrambling and are surprised. And I'm always frustrated like that because weren't you prepared? Don't you see the signs? What is it you're ignoring? It's such, it's frustrating for me. I know it's frustrating for people that we have these elected officials what the hell are you doing? Did you not see this coming? It's the same thing when I get involved with the community and we have a big water pollution issue. You know, that just didn't happen overnight. It's been coming. So the drought, um, we're, we're concerned here. And we've seen, you know, droughts before, but it's getting worse. And I, I think here in California, what's very concerning with the drought is the fire hazard, is the, the climatic changes that we're seeing, these Santa Ana winds with no water, it's dry, the fire's happening, are you going to have water to put out the fires, you know, the pollution of water. And now we have a shit show. Yeah. Because somebody over the decades continues to pass the buck, pass the buck, pass the buck, pass the buck. And now we're going to have, uh, I worry about uh, warmer temperatures here this year, uh, Santa Ana winds coming earlier than expected, uh, the fire dangers that exist because of this drought. And we may be in some very unfortunate predicament. See, Suzanne, this is why people don't always want to talk to me because, you know, <laughs> you don't want to hear the reality of the situation 
and I think people feel frustrated. There's nothing they can do, and so they just move on. Mm. Well, there's plenty of things you can watch and zone out. You know, we're here to give people a dose of what's really going on in the world, you know. And yeah, I, don't, I don't know if reality is a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is better bury your head in the sand. But, you know, we're facing currently uh, our snowpacks as it reports in the Guardians dwindled down. And our reservoirs, you know, are 50% of what they should be. I was reading about Lake Mead and, you know, they're just, there may be a horrific problem out there. Um, and that just turns into a horrific problem for the farmers downstream. And we just well, haven't exactly, been getting the snowpacks. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, even if you don't live in California, you know, people want a vacation there in the summertime, and you got to worry about the wildfires now. Of course, all the residents there, it's a huge concern. But then also, you know, we have agriculture. Everybody gets their produce from California. You know, that's where we get our almonds and our almond butter and all these things. And, you know, when you don't have water for these crops, it's a huge problem. I just think it's going to keep crunching everybody. It is. Well, you know, there's pollution of water, there's scarcity of water, there's not enough water, there's going to be no water. And, you know, the word of the day is readiness. How long have we been talking about this? So, you know, for me in the state of California, where was nuisance readiness? Where was preparedness? It reminds me of when I got the privilege of getting the Julius B. Richmond Award uh, from the School of Public Health at, Par- at Harvard. Yeah. And it, it's, it is about being prepared. What's the worst case scenario? You're prepared and it never happens. Woohoo! It didn't happen. But what if it does? See, in that what if it does moment is here. And guess what? You're not prepared. So there was no preparedness. And uh, for me, our leadership here in California is concerning. I'm sorry. We all watched those fires that went on. Oh, my gosh, how long has it been now? Three years? Uh, all of Northern California on fire, paradise. I mean, we all sat here and breathed in this smoke inhalation that was, we were just like, oh, my God, what is happening to those people up there? Uh, again, you weren't prepared. Again, the utility companies, again, you weren't prepared. You weren't staying on top of what you were supposed to. So I think we've got to figure out what it is that, lack of preparedness is all about Um, and all of us as people we really need to look at that because we're the ones that vote the unprepared people into office Mm. and how we can work together to be more informed about who the hell we are putting into office and holding I don't want to say their feet to fire because we were just talking about fires so there's no pun in that because they're so serious but that is exactly what we have to do. Yeah, that accountability piece. And I think it really feeds into, you know, a lot of the work that you're doing in communities, you know, a lot of places that have failing water systems, infrastructure, again, not prepared. We're not updating the infrastructure at the facilities, the water treatment plants, and people are having problems. And, you know, I think you just bring up a really great point around, being prepared, like the time is now. It's not like we're not in a place where we can sort of lolly-dally and hope in 20 years it's not going to be as bad as we think, you know. The science is here, and it's saying, like, now's the time. It was time 20 years ago. It was, and you and I talk about that, especially around infrastructure. And it's this con. we are now living the effects of whoever 
you may be, you know, I'm constantly saying to you, who are they anyway? I'm always running around looking for them, yet I can never always find them. But of kicking the can down the line. You know, if I talked about PG&E, they've been kicking the can down the line since I began my work out in Hinkley in the 90s. You know, these cases we talk about, and I don't want to say cases because they're not just law cases, but uh, community citizens um, rising, uh, seeing citizen science emerging, uh, are the end result of cases or uh, cover-ups or concealments, Mm -hmm. whether it be a state agency or a water board or a company, um, kicking the can down the line. When you need to fix your problem on the upfront and not keep kicking it down the line. That's how we got into trouble with these California fires with PG&E. They have known for decades their transmission lines were due to fail. But just keep that kicking down the line. And what so your the better result is kick the can down the line, burn down a third of the state, kill over 100 people, and get sued for $25 billion? Yeah. But what are we thinking? And yeah. so it is, it's not sustainable at all. And our infrastructure, we've known about lead service lines and lead pipes for decades, but we've made no movement to change those out. We could talk about, and I know you'll probably go there with me because we brought up today as our headline news, the um, toxic algal blooms down in Florida. Again, you've known for decades these were coming. Each year they get worse and worse, yet no action is really taken. So I feel like creating a T-shirt that says, you know, where's our leader? Who's the leader? Where do I find them? I mean, because that's what we're doing is running around. When I think we really just have to look to ourselves and say, well, if we don't have any leaders, then I'm going to take that role. And you, as the individual, you be prepared. You be informed. You have the information. You have the readiness. You have plan B. You have that escape route. We're going to have to do that. I do that now, um, getting prepared for the fires. I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to be able to really rely on anything. What, What direction do I go? Where are the fires? How do I stay informed? What alert systems do I have? Am I prepared? How much water is in my car? Do I have my documents in order? So when it hits, because now at this point I'm thinking something's going to hit, I'm prepared, I have what I need, I grab my animals, I'm out the door, and I get myself to safety. We can't sit and wait. You know, I mean, it's like, Growing up in Kansas, I just thought of this. Boy, you shouldn't have gotten me started talking, Suzanne, because I can just go and go and go. <laughs> you know, the tornado sirens would go off. You know, I didn't sit and wait for a tornado to come. I oftentimes knew in advance something was happening. You know, you could feel tornadoes coming. It's sticky. Even here in California, everyone will go, ooh, it's earthquake weather, because you just mm-hmm. kind of feel it. Um, and when that siren goes off, don't sit around and wait for the siren to go off because oftentimes it's too late. That's where we are, so it's very frustrating. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this red tag because you did send me that as well, which is another situation we continue to look at. You were down in Florida in 2018 when there was a huge outbreak of both red tide and the blue-green algae. Now here we are, you know, May, June, uh, they're showing big signs of 
more red tide, more algal blooms. Um, what I thought was interesting about what you sent me this morning was that this, you know, where they're seeing these red tide levels rising is right near uh, yes, where that tiny, tiny point. point fertilizer plant. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> and you know I was just down. I was in Anna Maria Island, and, uh, you know, the local paper there, there's environmental groups suing. They're trying to get this one uh, fertilizer plant closed, Piney Point, um, because there was a huge problem there back in April uh, where they had to release all of, you know, hundreds of millions of gallons of nutrient-rich wastewater. And now here we are seeing um, red tide, seeing these issues come up. And so, um, and it's interesting, right, because Florida had this huge problem in 2018 and, you know, everybody was so upset and we talked about it. We talked about it in the book. You went down there, and yet here we are again. And yeah. that's, I think, what can be so frustrating. I know um, me working with you, and I know in your work that it just feels like, you know, we keep bringing awareness, and I don't know who's listening. You know, I know some environmental groups are trying. I know the local people um, don't want to deal with this because, you know, this red tide causes massive fish kill, it's a terrible smell, it's not great for tourism, you know, this has impact. It's not just, you know, something out in the ocean. This is, is impacting communities, people's livelihoods. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, red tide affects everything from the ecosystem to the wildlife, to the fish life, you know, and the manatees and to the people. It's toxic. And they know how to control this. So much of this is runoff. And, you know, in Piney Point, they just had that big breach. So we have to, again, look at our mining. We have to look like Lake Oat Jacoby, the farmers uh, up above gradient from there, uh, industry that's up above gradient from there. This idea that the solution to pollution is dilution, so you just release it from, you know, the, the, the farming practices that runs into Lake Oat Jacoby that creates a nutrient overload that creates all these bacterial problems that keeps running through the rivers and the creeks and the tributaries down to the bay, down to the ocean. It's all you're doing, that's the same thing. You're just kicking and pushing the can down the line. We have to deal with these red tide conditions about what's happening upstream, what we're doing to the, the water, what we're doing with our waste. We can't just keep using our rivers and creeks and tributaries and our great ocean as a place for our great dumping ground. It's, it just isn't, again, I'll find a, a polite word, it isn't sustainable because we're literally shitting in our own mess kit. So when we continue to not address farming practices, are not addressing industry, not addressing the mining down in Florida, not addressing the pollution problem, not having um, better oversight of how we're releasing all of our poisons into our environment. We literally shit in our mess kit. We've poisoned our water. We've poisoned our land. We've poisoned our soil. We've poisoned our food. What is it we possibly think could happen to us? And so... I think there's an opportunity here. You know, as much as it sounds so dire, you know, and you, you and I have talked about this in the past, there's an opportunity for, for businesses to, to step up to the plate for our elected officials to, you know, work better. Like, let's get, let's get coordinated here. Let's look at all these systems and let's get ourselves set up for the next 20, 50, 100 years. It, it's true. You know, I'm about power to the people. And I'm standing with the people. And what these leaders of ours need to do 
get your ass down on the ground into these communities where you're having a current toxic red algal bloom outbreak and create a board of citizens who live there. You know, this is, I learned this in the BP oil spill. And I'm so tired of whoever you are not listening to the people that are on the ground, the fishermen down in the Gulf. They know those waters. They know that environment. They know that ecosystem. They know those tides. They know those storms coming in better than any leader that's been sitting in his office and not come out on the ground. And I think that they need to work with the people. They, they're supposed to work for us, but oftentimes <laughs> they don't. And I think that citizens, we talk about, I think it's the time for citizens science is here. I think it is time for citizens boards. And those boards created in those communities work directly with these officials to report, hey, you know what? I can tell you I know what the science says, but I'm also living in this environment I have for 20 years, and that isn't what's happening and being able to report real-time, real-life information what's going on the ground and get a, a response. There is an opportunity for leadership. There is an opportunity with companies to work with the citizens. Nobody's yeah. going to know better their conditions than they because they're living in it. And that would be very exciting. I think it would be a good way. I mean, you know, it's just like, the politicians are on this side of the table. The companies over on this side of the table. They're going back and forth and just shooting over us. And we, the people in the middle, are like going, hey, we're down here. You know, we know what's going on. Um, work with the people. I mean that. You know, set yeah. up shop. Get on the ground. Uh, I've always been that way. Uh, it's boots on the ground. And yeah. if you're going to just sit up there in your, your tower and, and think you know everything when you're not experiencing it, I think we continue to have failures. But you're right. There is an opportunity for our leaders, along with industry, companies, corporations, to allow the citizens to have a seat at the table. 100%. And, you know, some of the communities that we've seen the most success is when citizens who, you know, it's moms or you know, people who work at the school or whoever decide, okay, I'm going to run, you know, I'm going to be part of it. And sometimes, you know, I think that we're seeing more and more of that happening. And so, of course, you know, it's not all finished, but I think 20, 30 years from now is we get more citizens that are really engaged and, and running for office or showing up to city council, you know, we're yeah. going to have, we're going to have more of that. We're going to have more of these conversations. We are, and, and they should be happening. We talk about that in the book, Superman's Not Coming. And we always refer back to, you know, um, in Flint, yes, and um, yep. Hannibal, yes. yes. And let's, I want to go to this for a minute because, you know, when we talk about moms and stuff, they've, they've just got that common sense set of skills. You know, I think we've really got to stop and take a look at a couple of things. You and I have talked about this before. Your second brain, your gut. Mm. I think post-COVID, we're going to be learning more about that gut that's been telling us stuff, yet we're always taught not to listen to it, is precisely what we need to pay attention to. And moms are keen at that. And we've seen moms and we've seen women, uh, you know, in Hannibal, in Flint, in Florida, in the toxic olives of bloom. I could tell you 99.99999% of the time, those that reach out to me that have these issues, and it could be from water pollution to land pollution to air pollution to a medical device gone bad to 
a, a whole host of things will come from a woman who knows. See, that, that second brain is alive and well in her gut. And when you get that, um, to stay with it. And don't be afraid to run for local office. You know, we don't have to take the big image, you know, here now I'm going to be president or I'm going to be senator or I'm going to change the world. But you can make that change within yourself and right there in your own backyard at your own city council and be very effective. And don't be afraid to listen to your gut. We don't. And, you know, science has always said, oh, gosh, you and I talked about this again. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> in uh, Columbia, Missouri with the chloramines. Yep. And we were on the news with the scientist who said, let's be honest, Darren, you don't have all the data. I have no problem ever telling you the truth, and you're damn right. I don't have all the data. I have no problem with that. But what I wanted that scientist was to recognize is you don't have all the data either. Yeah. So while I may not be able to conclude in the absence of all the information what's going on and what the actual numbers are, you who are just over there concluding of science this couldn't be happening and aren't looking at the citizens, you too are missing large data sets. How do, the only way to bring that together is through the people. They hold the information because they're living, breathing, experiencing it, and their health issues. And that information oftentimes doesn't get shared. So I'm all about citizens rising and being included in the process. Oftentimes they're, they're not. But I think to be sustainable going forward, we are going to see that shift. Totally. And, you know, there's a new way of leadership, which is to listen, which is to empathize, you know, not this sort of, you know, we know best that, you know, that's dying down now. And, you know, as more and more people are affected by large corporations, by our elected officials kicking the can down the road, you know, we can get loud, we have voices. And I think that's something you do so well is, you know, teaching people, hey, you can stand up, you can say something, you can get 500 people to show up at a council meeting and make a difference you know the, the suddenly people start to listen you know and I think at some point we're we're seeing the kind of beginnings of this shift of leadership of you know this isn't about you telling us we're telling you what we need this is this is a new era <laughs> you can't yeah, just keep polluting up you know these communities and getting away with I it. think that does happen at a local level and you know at a bigger level with a bigger company when the communities are together and we can get all that information that may not have been seen that can help science together. Um, you know, the lawyers will come in and they can push back on these companies. You know, that's sometimes the, the governor, if you will, for these big companies. You've gone far enough. You can't go any further. You know, and, and if you look at Bear and the, the, the Roundup, I mean, my, here's the thing. You and I talk about this. It's in the book. Science takes a long time to catch up with oversights and policies and regulations. To understand what these chemicals do in our environment take 10, 12, 15 years for us to go, oh, shit, we have a huge problem. Here's something interesting that, that we should push for. We need to have the science on these chemicals on the upfront before they ever get put into the environment. It's just an ass-backwards situation that's almost like creating this huge problem that we're all going to have to deal with. Climate change, lack of water, 
no water, pollution of water, pollution of land, and and somebody like Bear and the, the big glyphosate problem and the $10 billion settlement, which probably wasn't near enough. This was going on for decades. Who knew what, when, where, why, and how? And then we've got to pay the ultimate price with our health, you know, because, you know, giving somebody who's been uh, concealed information about an issue that would cause a cancer that could risk their life and they go through chemotherapy and they beat the cancer, but their life is altered forever. Well, you think a million-dollar check just changes everything for them? That isn't always the answer. Changing your practices and being thoughtful about the health and the welfare of the person downstream you're impacting is is where we need to make a big shift. You talk about that with leadership, and I think that people think leadership is, oh, you have to have this degree or that degree, or you have to be stern or this or that. You have to know how to run Wall Street to possibly be a leader. Nothing could be further from the truth. Leadership is about being able to say, hmm, I'm not sure if that's right. Let me ask a question. Oh, just because you're a leader, you know all be all? No, you don't. Ask a question. Have some heartfelt opinions about the people. Hey, go talk to the people. Leadership can be thoughtful with empathy and kind. That doesn't mean you're going to get stepped on. Somehow we got this idea that if you're kind and empathetic, you know, you're a pushover. You can't possibly be a good leader. But that's, for me, what a, a good leader will do. And that's how they will find out what's happening with the people and how they can lead better. Yeah. Yeah. And the story that we're talking about here is, uh, you know, bears considering ending sales of Roundup, its glyphosate, you know, main product. Um, but not for the reasons you think. It's because the federal judge rejected their class action proposal, you know, to avert future lawsuits. <laughs> Again, it's just these big guys trying to run, you know, give everybody the runaround. But, you know, if the end result is no more Roundup, I think that's a great thing because, you know, we have seen so many cases of cancer and other health problems well, yeah. from the herbicide. <laughs> Because they make money off that. Yeah. You know, and you can't keep making money off your corruption or making money off your concealment, uh, bullshit you knew. It was just like the PFOS that we talk about, the PFOA and the PFOS and the firefighting foam. Oh, my God, these companies knew decades ago. But here we come to science. Oh, let's, you know... Let us put it into the environment, and then we'll go study it, which costs millions of dollars and takes, you know, again, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 years. All the while, you know, we're sitting ducks. And so Bayer wants that to happen because other we're going to have to take it off the market. It's not going to make money for them anymore. Right. Um, right. So this take is about <laughs> them making money. That's right. Take it off the market. You should have done it 20 years ago. Oh, how about that? If you had some science on this chemical – and usually they do before they have it put into the marketplace. How about you just not do it then? You know, this is like, ah. You know, sometimes, Suzanne, when you call, I'm excited, and sometimes when you call, I'm like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't pick the phone up today because um, I don't know where we're going to go. But I go back to, again, how I got involved in all of this in PG&E, Bear and everybody else. Let's take a look at pg and um, uh, what happened in Hinckley, California, that resulted in the film Aaron Brockovich, that settled for $333 million. It's still an ongoing problem out there. They've had to buy everyone out. 
Um, it's on their corporate books to clean up for the next 50 years. Let's round that one off at, I don't know, $700 million. And then, uh, you know, I uncovered the same identical situation happening out in Kettleman, California. That settled for $335 million. And then, you know, we go to PG&E and look at the San Bruno explosion that was billions of dollars that killed people to the fires that settled for, what, $11 billion in insurance subrogation and another $13.5 billion to the people and people died and the environment's destroyed. They lost their homes. You know, all of that, add all of that up. You're looking at $50, $60, 70000000000 billion? But had you just done the right thing on the upfront, you would have saved the environment, saved lives, and saved your company billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. So I think the corporate business model needs to shift. And you need to be looking at on the upfront safety first. And you know that information. And when you know that information on the upfront, you don't get to put it into the marketplace. And we have we have so much data on this that these these companies study the chemicals. Absolutely. They know that they're harmful, and they just keep them on the market. They keep making money, and they let the legal mm-hmm. departments handle it. And the, you know, no more. This we're in this information age. A lot of stuff is coming out, and people are standing up and saying we don't want this. And it's you know, important for us to keep the pressure on, and we need to yeah. keep pressure on strategically. You know. Uh, uh, we have to be organized and strategic and get our facts and our information together and how we present it to be heard. Because sometimes if, you, if we just go out there and, and just take off, we aren't heard. And I never like to see that happen. So it's how citizens organize effectively and strategically um, to be heard. And we are on the cusp of that, that finally happening. Well, Erin, thank you so much. I know everyone is going to be so happy to just hear a little bit from you what goes on in that in that brain of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing, a bad thing, a scary thing, or a what thing. And then I get to talking, and I'm like, ooh, let me bring this up. So I hope everyone <laughs> could follow that. And I'd love to do this and pop on, you know. Yeah. Um, we need that uh, little so shot of inspiration. Much. Yeah, we got to, you know, we got to find our, our inner Erin and, Get out there well, and, in communities and, you know, raise hell. <laughs> I had this For conversation this morning with someone. They're like, not everyone always wants to hear what you have to say, Aaron, even though that <laughs> it needs to be said. And, you know, I feel, you know, yeah, just it's just sometimes I can't give the best explanation for things other than you just know what's right or wrong and you just know what's bullshit and what's not. And it goes back to... Even all the, the all the years and years and years I was in the field and Hinkley and Kettleman and you know if it walks like a duck quacks like a duck you know it's probably a duck and we we get abroad with all this stuff and then we get questioned or it's just like this major gaslight that goes on and then you walk away thinking oh I didn't just see that and then you have to go yeah I did I just saw that I really think that there is a moment and what's so key here for every one of us get to know yourself. Know what you saw. Know what you experienced. Know what you believed in. Stand with yourself. Get behind yourself. 
um, dig in on that principle of what you know you're experiencing and stay with it. And then when you find others in the community experiencing the same thing, you can put that momentum together. That's right. Support. Support yourself. Support others. You know, we're, we have this community in Sulphur, Louisiana right now. That's what they're doing. Correct. They're getting together. Absolutely. They're That's, asking good yeah, questions. I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, you know, we just have to consistently keep putting it out there, putting it out there, putting it out there, putting it out there. And I know it's exhausting for people. Um, I get exhausted. I do. And when I <laughs> I'm, there are days where I'm like, fuck it. And I mean it. I have no other word for it other than fuck it. Because I have to disengage to let my brain cool down, to reconnect to myself, take some breaths, and allow yourself that moment. And because you just keep hitting the wall, hitting the wall, hitting the wall. Um, have that moment. F.I. F.I. And take a walk on the beach, go read a book, go walk your dog, go hug your children, take that break for that reconnection, and you can come back at it tomorrow. Yeah. I love it. Love well, thank it. You so well, much. thank you so much. I'm happy to chat with you anytime. <laughs> Bye for now.